It's Monday the 6th of March and today I'm joined by Robert and by John. It's been a big weekend for Robert. He's a year older and therefore a year wiser than he was on Friday. Is that not true, Robert? It certainly is. Well, certainly older, not much wiser, I don't think. <laughs> so there's been a lot going on. And firstly, I think we should talk about uh, inflation, really. And I have a question for, for John in the fact that euro inflation was down last week marginally by 0.1% to 8.5%. But core inflation in Europe was up from 53 to 5.6%. But core inflation doesn't include food and energy. And the word core means to me means something which is the most important thing, which I think is food and energy, because we all need energy to keep warm, etc., etc., get around, and we all need to eat food, unless there's something I don't know. Duncan, I think you're a bit off message, really, aren't you? Just repeat after me. Inflation is going to come down, and that means it interest rates will be cut everywhere okay just keep repeating i'll that. do my best yes i think we're seeing another another elite shambles on the uh, on the horizon here who needs energy and who needs food the really worrying thing is that shorn of those volatile items so-called core inflation and it's not just in europe is proving particularly stubborn and seems to be stuck at around the six percent level well if that is where the non-volatile stuff is, what happens to interest rates? I can't see that logically there can be interest rate reductions if if central banks really mean what they say, which is that they mean to get on top of inflation. And let's not forget, not for the first time, uh, they are the ones that have let inflation get out of the bag. It's not that long ago we had Mr. Bailey telling us that interest rates went from quarter of 1% to half of 1%, and he described it as a preemptive strike against inflation. Good grief. So they're, they're in a jam, they're in a real bind. When so-called core inflation is as stubborn as it is, if they really mean that, that they want to get on top of inflation, then I can't see that there are going to be rate cuts. And the whole thing just looks like a continuation of the mess that they presided over um, over the last, oh, I don't know, five or seven years. There's been a lot of talk about food shortages. Hopefully, Robert, you managed to get a birthday cake over the weekend. But there's been a lot of soft vegetables and fruit salads, etc., where there have been, been issues. The UN has said that world food price inflation is 8.1%, which is higher than core inflation, which suggests to me that inflation will stay higher for a bit longer. And last week, we saw bond market yields touch the highs, which they reached back in uh, October, November. And there is talk of further increases. The ECB has said that half a percent is very much on the cards later this month. And it will be very interesting to see what happens. I think it's the 23rd of March when the Bank of England makes an announcement, but that's post the further inflation figure, which obviously they'll be privy to. But last week, so um, the house builders come out with some results, Taylor Wimpy and Kerr Simmons. And again, they were saying that things weren't as rosy as they had been. Yeah, well, the consumers tapped out and mortgage rates have more than doubled, certainly more than doubled in the US. So um, how can people keep buying houses at the same prices? It's now much more difficult to do so. 
I, I can't see that they can. So I'm not surprised that those results have come out. Perhaps the only surprise I have is that it's taken it's taken as long as it has, but it looks to be rolling over. I think it's inevitable, and it doesn't look to me that the interest rate reductions are, are marching over the hill to save the day. It's not a sector we ever get interested in. Every now and again, you end up with these kind of near-death experiences. It isn't that the fact that they, they've taken a, a hammering uh, house builders, and it's not something that is going to is going to get my interest, not at all. Uh, one of the questions which Robert and I get asked on a fairly regular basis is, should I be investing in the stock market? Would I be better off buying uh, an investment property? You can't help but think that there are headwinds going forward for property investors. I think there is a complete difference between buying a property outright and doing a buy-to-let. Robert, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I mean, I completely agree. I was just thinking when you were saying, how do the young afford to buy property these days? And the bottom line is that probably they don't. You know, property is pretty sticky. So you might think that the yield on the on the rental income is great. But actually, by the time you bought the property, if you ever want to sell the property, you've got the ongoing costs, etc., etc., And we've got plenty of experience of people saying to us, if I want to sell my uh, my portfolio to to do whatever I want to do with it, how long will that take me? And we can say maximum a week. And that, I think, is quite telling. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the other thing is that, obviously, our job is to make use of allowances for clients, tax allowances. So with a, a portfolio, it is very straightforward to make use of capital gains tax allowances because you have lots of individual investments. Also, we make use of ISA allowances for private individuals where appropriate, and that's done annually. So we have a significant number of clients now who have seven figures invested in ISAs and are getting a very nice tax-free income from it. And that's over the years chipping away at CGT allowances and ISA allowances. It always amazes me how I see people who have been investors for 20, 30 years who are now fed up with their existing advisor. To me, any of our clients who have been with us for sort of um, that kind of length of time are, are either fully invested in ISAs or have £750,000 plus in ISAs. But these people are coming along with £200,000 in ISAs. So you have to question whether the previous advisor has been doing their job properly. But again, the other thing about property, stating the obvious, is that A, you can't hold it in an ISA for tax-free income. Um, and secondly, you take a hit when you come to sell it in one go. You don't roll up your capital gains tax allowances. You have a capital gains tax allowance in the year you sell that property. I think that's a very good point, Duncan. And when we were young, as they say, property was only ever going to go one way. And we were lucky because we were, you know, in the 1980s, 1990s. But now, unless it's your primary residence, I, I mean, I get why people want to buy a house or a flat or whatever uh, to live in. But why people want to do the buy to let stuff, I'm not so sure because of all those issues you've just mentioned.
I was reading an article about retirees and how the next generation of retirees over the next 20 years will have underfunded pensions, uh, which basically means they're not going to receive the income that they uh, thought they were going to receive. And I can't help but think a lot of that will be down to, A, not making a big enough provision. And rightly or wrongly, I see it that a lot of people are driving around in their pensions. And the fact that those pensions have been invested very poorly. And again, I think that there will have been a drive towards lower risk investments when there is a long term horizon. And I think that there will have been an ethical move, which I also question. Those are very good points. There was a very interesting article in, in the Sunday Times written by a fund manager from Jupiter, whose name I temporarily forget, essentially saying that their hands are tied with regard to pension investment. And they've been told in the main to concentrate, once they get to a certain period within the pension, on what is perceived to be risk-free assets, which goes back to our bond investment discussion. They have a restriction on buying equities. And as we have seen over over many, many years, if you invest in decent equities over time, then they are very rewarding. And the flip side is not so rewarding. Yeah, I think think that's absolutely right. I don't understand the logic of de-risking as you get to retirement because you've enjoyed all of those dividends from Nestle and from Shell, etc., which should continue to do well. Why suddenly give up on them? Um, I, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, John, what, what do you think? I'll get with the programme, Duncan, please. <laughs> it's not that long ago, is it, that there were trillions of global bonds that were at negative yields. Why would you hold that? And the fact that a bond is supposedly safe in inverted commas, it's not safe if you've paid way, way above what it should be because interest rates have been falsified at far too low levels and then you get an inflationary fireball. So the idea that a bond can be redeemed nominally, it's not the same as, well, what's its value in real terms? I think this is the kind of nonsense that all too often regulatory uh, reasons drives investing down a, down a cul-de-sac. You only have to see what has happened to bonds over the past well, probably the last 12 months. But you know, this is why we haven't been, been buying bonds for, for such a long time, because they just offered such terrible, terrible value. And just to put them in the in the low-risk bucket, um, I think was to make a cardinal error. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And John and I were saying earlier, Robert, Home REIT, which um, is a investment vehicle which was set up to provide homeless people with roofs over their heads. It's been announced this morning that two of the businesses which they've lent money to all, um, have actually gone into members' voluntary liquidation and they account for 18% of the income role or the, the letting role. And you just think you, you don't want your pension invested in anything like that. Nestle, people drink coffee and they eat Kit Kats. It's simple, it's straightforward. You've got an underfunded pension fund potentially. Yes, it would be nice to do some good, but when you're below water yourself, you've got to pull out some good investments to be able to start making what are in effect charitable donations. You only have to look at the website of Home Reed to see that it is not a business and it hasn't been run as a business and that's why it's in such a mess. 
it's very easy to make mistakes in this industry. But I think that was a mistake that was just begging to be made. As I say, if you if you, if you looked at what their so-called mission statement was, you'd have run a mile, or you should have done. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we're at the beginning of March. Uh, we've completed uh, all of our capital gains tax planning and ISA contributions for another year. Um, and I think that at the beginning of the new tax year, 6th of April, we'll be getting people into those ISAs again, because they are such a good way of getting some tax-free income. Um, so if anyone needs any help with that, we're happy to help. Capital gains tax allowances are falling, so it's, it is becoming even more important to do that. I mean, ISAs have become just such a wonderful vehicle. Yeah. If you can take advantage of them and you don't, you really are missing a trick now. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Some of the government policies over the years have been all very interesting. And I noticed the other day that the price of old motor cars, sort of your 15, 20-year-old, one-litre, bang is not the right word, but the, the price at auction is what they would expect to be getting at retail. And I just wonder whether we we might start to regret the cash for clunkers following the financial crisis. How foolish we are scrapping perfectly decent assets. It's just another example of, a, of economies based upon consumption. Uh, the best economies are not based upon consumption. Look at the Swiss. Historically, look at the German economy. Yeah. Look at the Japanese economy. It seems to me that most Western economies now are based upon getting people to buy stuff they don't need with money they haven't got. It's the road to the poorhouse. But um, might explain why the, the UK market is regarded as being cheap compared to its peers. But then it might always appear cheap. I, I, I think it's not just this country. I think the whole Western world has got has got massive, massive problems. And these problems have been allowed to build up, these excesses have been allowed to um, to build up over probably the last 20 or 30 years. And we could file most of it under the category of um, you know, central banks, politicians, whatever. Their MO seems to be to stop bad stuff happening. Well, bad stuff needs to happen. The more bad stuff you artificially prevent happening means that a lot of bad stuff is eventually going to force itself upon you. And I think that's where we are now. And hence the reason why it is so important to have your portfolio invested globally. Why it is important to have uh, investments in America in particular and Far East to give you that geographical spread in case the UK in particular really struggles to recover. So another episode of our podcast with Duncan, John and me. As you hopefully will know by now, and, and if you don't, you need to listen again. We have some views that maybe not everybody adheres to. And that's why we feel we are different. We are ahead of the game, if you like. We're not lemmings. We talked about inflation. We talked about interest rates. We have a, a pretty cynical view of the way both of those are being managed. Just by the by, and we didn't talk about this, I read an article by the, the new boss of Shell, who said that actually, do you know what, everybody's going to need oil. So let's get real. Um, and that is certainly not a, 
theme that's being pushed through the sort of ESG channels, as it were. We talked about food shortages and Duncan very kindly mentioned that uh, hopefully I got a birthday cake, which I did. And we, we basically see it as it is rather than seeing it as other people would like to see it. If you want to know more, please get in touch with us and please tell other people that this is worth listening to. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.